Han Rowdy and there will be no encore. Welcome to the final episode of 2022. It's our 10 best albums of 2022. Craig Fitzpatrick is once again here with me. Yeah, we're still here a week later. It's been a long week, but um, we thought we'd best hang around. Yeah. It is, of course, back-to-back recordings in Casa del Sonic Architect Adam. Hello. Back again. Yeah, we took a, I want to say, like a 10-minute break. Between the There's two episodes, food ordered, so there food might has be been a ordered. Pause so that yeah. we'll seamlessly move past. There'll so be we, an yeah. abrupt record scratch moment at some point, so we can consume some some food because it, it needs to happen. It's a full day in the studio, but it turns out um, our songs episode ten songs was quite long. Oh yeah. Who would have ah, yeah. Par for the course, guys. It, I like every How do we do time. It? How do we do it? We can do a normal episode where there's like no news. We're not reviewing an album. We have a top five, and it'll go exactly the same length. I think it's like that thing where you're like. If I make X amount of money, I will spend the same yeah, equivalent. Like, you, like you'll find a way to just there are like reptilian brain somehow just filling in the gaps. We're already doing it. We're already fucking padding. Let's not pad on this episode. <laughs> so, of course, this is our last episode. You've heard the best of clip show Adam put together. You've hopefully heard the best songs of 2022. You yeah. may experience some repetition on this episode because some names might also feature here. But we got to talk about it, don't we? We do, yeah. Once again, Craig and I have put our heads together and we have put together our best albums of the year. Anything to be said for honourable mentions before we jump in real quick? Because I do want to kind of get the motor running on this one. Um, yeah, let me just have a little quick thing. Amber Mark's album, Three Dimensions Deep, is really, really good. Great um, shout. Yeah, very funky, futuristic R&B. The songs are remarkably strong. Um, came out very early in the year and I've been bumping that a lot. And I think it actually missed my top ten. Um, because I just clean forgot about it. So apologies for that, Amber. Everyone check it out. In a great shock, I didn't pick the Slipknot album in my top. They'll be pleased with that. It sounded shit, Dave. We've been over this. You're very anti the Sonics on that record. I think the mix is genuinely awful. It could have been better, uh, as could the album itself. So unfortunately, you know, just to show you that my bias only runs so far. <laughs> Are we mentioning albums we don't like? Because <laughs> sure, what, have you got? Yeah. what else you got? Um, yeah, no, I mean, like that's like pretty much it for honorable mentions for me. I, I'd rather get straight to this. Okay. So uh, we have ten albums, of course, and thank you for joining us, listener. Final episode of the year. Thank you very, very much for listening to the show over the course of the year and any support you've given us, whether that is over at Patreon.com/slash No Encore telling a friend about the show, or just tuning in every week. Thank you so much for lending us your ears, and hopefully there's a couple of discoveries in this list for you, and hopefully some arguments to be had from it as well. And with that in mind, yeah. so again, the way we've done this is, we have a 10 down to 6, we'll have a top 5, we'll talk about them alphabetically, and we'll try and put some order on it. But for now, here is No Encore's number 10 in the top 10 albums of 2022. Number 10. I could listen to that all day long. Mm. It is Wise Blood, and the record is And In The Darkness, Hearts Aglow. And In The Darkness, comma, Hearts Aglow. It is the follow-up to 2019's Titanic Rising. 
Wise Blood, tremendous, tremendous artist. Uh, Natalie Laura Merring is her real name, of course. Yeah. Behind the curtain there for you. Um, <laughs> chamber pop sensation, Craig. And this album, when it came out, felt like one of those albums that just lauded instantly. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same reaction to <clears throat> Titanic Rising, right? I mean, she'd been around for a while um, doing some kind of great stuff, but that was her proper kind of like announcement on the world stage and uh, critical plaudits. Just gorgeous sounding stuff, very old fashioned in the best way songwriting. Um, and this is kind of more of the same. It is, um, yeah. yeah. But that's but okay. Song, yeah, totally okay. She's got a very strong sound and the songwriting is just so sturdy. Uh, it's This is the stuff I grew up on, Dave. Is <laughs> this is, yeah. This is like pure... Carol King slash even more so Carly Simon to me. Yes. Just like my Maz record collection, which I adored. So we're, we're added, we, we've turned into your mother's record collection. Pretty much, but it's a good record collection. It's um, her brother, actually, my uncle, who I probably have mentioned before, he's a big music fan as well, but he doesn't actually recommend that much stuff. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I'm a big <laughs> what you didn't see was me and Dave immediately locking eyes there. That feels so long ago now. I'll be honest with you, I'm a big music fan. Honest with you. <laughs> big music fan. Um, but he hopped on the WhatsApp uh, a couple of weeks ago and was like, have you heard this record by Wise Blood? And I had to be like, yeah. <laughs> but yes, it is extremely good. So it's, it's you know, it's um, reaching out beyond just well, this small circle. it came out pretty fucking late. Like, it did, It yeah. was released on uh, mid-November, wasn't it? Yeah. 18th, it says here. It is your fifth album. And again, I just, it was announced it has this incredible album cover and it, all, all I saw was people on Twitter or else in professional reviews being like, it's another masterpiece. She's done it again. Yeah. And I was almost annoyed by the the release of it because it was like, I know that this is going to be great, but I know that I need to really tune into it and turn everything else off because that's kind of what her music demands, I think. Yeah. But I do think that from the get-go, like the lead single, which is fucking awesome. We just heard it there. It's not just me, it's everybody, which is like over six minutes long. But it's this um, Father John Mistian, if you will-esque kind of mm. dalliance about the world and people in it. She said that this album is a response to being, quote, in the thick of it. Don't think it's a reference to the BBC show, but I could be wrong. And I think that she's incredibly captivating. I think that she's created this great character for herself. I think she's kind of in a league of her own. But it was weird because it just felt this album did feel almost kind of isolated from the rest of the world. Maybe that's the point of what she does. But there was just yeah. something about it where it almost was like people throwing garlands of flowers on her immediately. And it's like, yeah, it actually is that good. Yeah, and it was always like, uh, yeah, this is kind of par for the course with her. It, it got great reviews, but it didn't feel like an event, if That's that makes the sense. Thing. Yeah. Like, why isn't she, like, I know this might be a trite sound alike, but, you know, why isn't she up there with Lana Del Rey in terms of the n- notoriety, so to speak? Yeah. It's not a million miles away. Because she does have the kind of character, but maybe it's just not that vivid kind of or personality or outspoken yeah. thing. And yeah, the lyrics do tend to be more... Um, the songs are fucking brilliant. Like, they're such they are, great there's stories. There's a huge amount of subtlety to them. And she, like, when she released the record, she put out a letter just talking about how, like, basically detailing what the songs were about. And it's a lot of, um, it feels to me like that very, like, Laurel Canyon, late 60s, early 70s, like, um, quite right on, like, um, social commentary stuff, but applied to today's 
topics. And it doesn't feel like it's trying to be... That's the thing. ...artificially invoking a different era. It just feels like its own kind of strange magic. Yeah, and even when she broaches like very modern topics and like there's songs here that I didn't quite realise. She was, She's like, I'm talking about social media here. Or I'm talking about like how narcissistic people get when they're like constantly, you know, looking at, you know, I've got a fucking front-facing camera or like rear-facing camera or whatever. And... Um, it's a credit to her songwriting that you don't go, oh, she's doing an issue song. Do you know what I mean? You it's just... kind of done with a wink, but it's yeah. also, it's wink and you'll miss it, essentially. So that's, uh, and in the darkness, hearts glow by Wise Blood. If you're unfamiliar again, just in terms of spelling out the name, it's W-E-Y-E-S, Blood. Blood. <laughs> that's our number you 10. You know to spell blood, don't you, listener? It's our number 10, and I will say, I think it's a fucking excellent number 10. And yeah. that's not me being like, oh, we're so good. I'm just, I'm very happy that that's our number 10. I think, I think it's a great album. And Free again, record. One of those ones, I mean, is this the point to kind of briefly mention SZA and Little Sims? Because like in terms of this album came out very late, but those two albums have come out literally in the last week or so. And I've only gotten to the SZA album, which is 23 songs long, haven't gotten to the Sims album yet. And again, feel like you can't turn around and say, hey, don't release your art. But the SZA album is an event and I'm, we've been waiting for it for a very long time. The Sims album coming off the yeah. Mercury Prize is also an event. And I just... I don't know. A, a part of me is like, could you just not have waited till January while also knowing how much of a prick I sound there? And I will say, on the two or three listens I've given this as an album, it's of high quality, but I haven't had the chance to really spend the intimate amount of time with it that you want to. I haven't had the chance either. And I've actually gone out of my way not to listen to them too much because I was they came out as we were compiling these lists and I'm like, I'm not going to have enough time to properly review it, let alone compare it. I don't want to do a token inclusion yeah. either of it because it's like, going to take away yeah. and upset me if it's too good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that'll be Christmas listening. And I think, yeah, it's annoying for stuff like this, but um, I think thinking long term, like I remember D'Angelo's comeback Black Messiah came out over the Christmas and now you just think of that as like a fucking classic album so yep, do you yep. know what I mean it'll get its flowers if it if it warrants it so yeah let's go to our number nine will we number That is Nilifer Yanya. Uh, the song there was Another Life and it's taken from the album Painless, which is her second record. Um, a London artist, like just... That you claimed for Ireland on the last episode. I did, yeah. Her ma is Irish slash um, Barbadian. Her dad's Turkish. She's been, in fairness, mostly influenced by Turkish music, I believe. <laughs> um, she's also said that people expect her just to be doing like R&B. She's got kind of shade tones to her voice, which is great. It's a I saw someone describe her voice as kind of like extremely earthy and grounded, but somehow airy and light, which is which is spot on. I think um, it's um, very dexterous and there's a lot of emotion there without seeming like over egging it too much. But yeah, this is the second record um, from Nilla for her debut. Really struck a chord with me back in 2019, Miss Universe. I think I was in Bilbao on holidays, roundabout when it came out. And this sounds like the perfect music to watch. Yeah. yeah, it was so good. As the sun is setting. It was, it was one of those things where my hotel was kind of slightly out of the city centre, so there'd be kind of long walks um, past like fucking uh, the local like football stadium and stuff like that. And it was one of those things where I'd know, I'd know proper Wi-Fi, I'd know internet connections. So whatever was on your phone... 
like as an actual fucking file was what you had to listen to. Um, and oh, I love those moments. A, that's when an assortment of stuff, yeah. That's when you re- you're really confronted with the kind of person you are in those <laughs> yeah, moments. Yeah, and I, I had, I had a, the debut album um, from Nilofer Yanya and I enjoyed it from like a listener to, but I don't know how it ended up on my phone. Um, but I stuck it on. I had a couple of other tracks but I just kept playing that one and it was just, it was so good. Now, it did have a kind of concept around it. It was like this um, fake like wellness center parody. So there'd be like these um, commercials in between songs and it was like, it didn't need it. And I guess she was going for a debut album thing and it's such a kind of um, mixed bag in terms of genres that maybe she felt she needed a true line. With this one, there's no bells and whistles. There's no kind of throwaway concept. It's just extremely good songwriting. Um, it's minimalistic. It's produced by Wilma Archer, who's another fantastic artist in her own right. Um, and yeah, it's it's hard to kind of put your finger on because it feels kind of quite 90s. Like there's elements of alt rock for sure. I think she brings in UK chart stuff as well. There's certain songs you think are just going to completely go breakbeat and they never quite do. Um, she's hard to kind of um, pigeonhole, which is a great thing. The songs are huge. I think she's going to have a huge career. I think she's opening for Adele at this stage. So, um, yeah, next sure section will be interesting. wine-soaked Vegas audience will really it's, tune into weird this one, isn't it? Like, abstract yeah. art over here. The, it's not that abstract, <laughs> but it's, you know, compared to Adele. Yeah. The, the thing I think that really marks her out for me is, like, across the board, this is a strong record. I think it gathers momentum as it goes on. The last few songs might be the strongest. But the two kind of stand out, like, big pop singles, Stabilize and Midnight Sun, are extremely good in very different ways, I think. Like, they're chalk and cheese in terms of what they do, and I think that's a really good representation of just, like, okay, she's got a... Like, she's working with a really big bag of tricks here. Like, she... It's not just... She didn't just write a couple of songs that are quite nice and one that's, like, you know, a big standout. She's got songs that could potentially be massive in different ways. Um, So it's exciting, yeah. Yeah, this was an exciting discovery for me as well. Again, based off you picking Midnight Sun and No Ox Chord that time, which of mm-hmm. course Midnight Sun did make our tracks of the year as well. Yeah. It's a great album. I'm really, really into it. And I really, really want to see her live because I believe that she's fucking excellent live. Yeah. I've played her a couple of times, I think. Like, does come over. So next time she's here, you'll see me in the front row. <laughs> and uh, up next for us on our albums of the list, albums of the list, albums of the year list, albums of the list. Sorry. I think I put you off by absolutely breaking there with your front row. Well, I did my I did my two FM DJ thing. Yeah, yeah where was it? Uh, you know, mine's a pint. Um, but uh, number uh, number eight for us is uh, uh, there's not really that much to say about this one, is there? Number eight. Oh fuck, I've done a switcheroo on you there, listener, because we could spend the next hour, but we won't, talking about <laughs> Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers by Kendrick Lamar. That track you heard there was Purple Hearts. And if yeah. you want to hear if you want to hear two men tying themselves up in fucking knots, go back to our review episode of this one when it came out. And I don't think it's gotten any easier to untangle since then. No. Um, but God, have I tried. And I've enjoyed every second of doing so. Um, have you enjoyed every second of doing so? Because I think the fact well, that this not, isn't in maybe our top a couple five, of tracks. <laughs> this was number one on some lists and like it's not in our top five, which I think speaks volumes. 
Yeah, I mean, there's problems with the record. Um, I'm still slightly torn on the Kodak black element. Um, yeah. People seem yeah. to just kind of forget that very quickly, didn't they? Because it probably suited people to do so. Yeah. And, you know, there was a Glastonbury set to, you know, fall over and stuff yeah. like that. I don't Selective, know. Selective. Yeah, know. it's an interesting one. But... I mean, not every song on this album is an absolute standout. And there's moments where you kind of sit back and marvel and go, I don't want to hear that song again for a long time. Um, we cry together. Yeah, we cry together, yeah, being the case in point. But I think overall, sonically, it's very seductive. Um, I think it's some of Soundwave's best um, production work overall. And there's a lot of, like there was a lot of people working on the record. It sounds like it. it's brilliant. Um and I think the more I've gone back to it, I've found it very Moorish. Like my favourites keep changing. Um, there's new elements to find. Like it's, it, it demands repeat listens for me because I think most of the songs that you would have glided by, you know, somewhere on side three on your first listen or, or two, you go back and you find new hooks. Even a song like that, which wasn't like a, an immediate standout to me, you've got Ghostface. <laughs> which is just Purple Hearts which we just heard Purple there Purple Hearts which is so good um, yeah Ghostface did in his kind of like elder statesman role and even stuff like Kendrick's like little yeah baby mm. there's so many so of those good. moments dotted throughout the record where I'm like this is such like air candy I just love it in a way that it's as naughty as To Pimp a Butterfly but I think I find it, it probably production is popular in surface level to a degree but actually it lets me dive in a little bit more um, I remember around, like it was earlier in the year, it was a couple of months before the record was due out or at least it was like the start of the cycle where it was like Kendrick's got a new record that's coming out. Yeah. Um, and I was on, I, I happened to be onboarded onto a platform called Engineers and that's a, a platform for mix engineers That's that was kind of made up and is ran by Mix by Ali, Derek Ali. He's mm. the main kind of TDE mix engineer. And he was saying that um, he'd finished mixing the record and that the only thing he was going to say was that it's going to be, it's going to it's gonna challenge how you think about both mixing and experiencing a record as a listener of a Kendrick Lamar album. And he was right, like he was so yeah. right. Um but like with that kind of Moorishness, I think for me, I'm going back to it a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah. Um, and I am enjoying it kind of more and more each listen. And I do love the abrasion of We Cry Together. I think that like it's it's the production from, I think it's The Alchemist. It is The Alchemist. Yeah. And actually like that musically is gorgeous. Like if you it's took incredible. If you took away the vocals, yeah. you could do. I wonder, was he thinking, God, this could have been a hit? <laughs> you know what I mean? Not a hit, but you know what I mean. This could have been something that I think. I think he was given a brief. If I'm being yeah, honest with probably, you, yeah, you're course. And right I think he. Say, wrote, yeah. I think he wrote to the scenario, yeah. but I mean, like, I, I don't know that for a fact. But either way, yeah, love this record. Just thought it was kind of worth to mention what That's very um, yeah. Derek well, Ali said about it. That also applies narratively, the challenge thereof, because I went back to this quite a lot in recent weeks, as much as you can with the, an album of this length and scope and density. And the energy crisis, you're kind of limiting your... Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, absolutely. But the whole situation is that I still feel like I'm on the other side of the door with this one. Okay. The door is ajar, but I'm still... I still am left cold by the experience, I think, for the most part. And maybe that's the point. We've talked about this at length on the album review that we did. 
and we talked about it when we talked about Auntie Diaries on the last episode. A lot of this is about Kendrick essentially, you know, holding up his crown of thorns and saying, I'm not the guy that you think I am and I don't want to be yeah. and you don't fucking know me and you don't have the right to know me. And that's fine. That's actually, I think, a great artistic statement. Yeah. We shouldn't, you know, and there is a level of, and we saw, like, again, not to go over old ground, but, like, the very fact, his point was immediately proven on the day of the album coming out with all the five-star reviews and 10 out of 10s going online approximately two or three, and in some cases even one hour <laughs> after, like, an 80-minute or whatever album it is comes out. <laughs> it's just, like, it's 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 so broken. It's such a broken way of... of, of devouring art and trying to you know put criticism out into the world and I know I know I'm boring when I talk about this but it's getting worse and I think that this was just the ultimate example of critics telling on themselves and I appreciate that you might be in a position where you're like well look I'm going on radio that night I gotta talk about it and like it's like and people did and did do it in a way where they were like look, listen, I've only had the chance to listen to it four or five times and it's day one and I'm obviously overwhelmed by this and we need to put that into context and I respect people for doing that. Not everyone does, but at the same time, you can't, and we still can't, all these months later, fully unpack this record. But I do think eight out of ten in terms of the placement, I think it's my own personal placement as well. There's clearly works of genius happening on here. It's not even a quote-unquote bad Kendrick album. But it is messy by design, and I think that affects it as a listening experience. But as an artistic statement, it is once again quite imperious from someone who is this time being like, let's talk about my fucking flaws. And I feel like those flaws maybe need to be baked into the listening experience for them to really come across. But I don't know if that makes a classic album. On that, uh, and on kind of like the album review immediacy thing, I don't think albums are made to be immediately judged an album like as a music producer who is working on albums I'm not making albums that are gonna like I don't I don't ideally think that oh let's make a record together that's gonna land immediately what you want to stay in power and an album is a lived in experience it's not like something that like Rumours at the time that Fleetwood Mac came out, like I'm very sure. much the Mr. Morale of their catalogue. You know, yes. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like it just, it wasn't. I don't think they would have necessarily thought that this is going to be the statement piece that it is yeah. today. Yeah, you know, forty years, fifty years later. Yeah, it's you can't. I don't. You're right. The system is broken. Yeah, and we can't spend all day in this because it's not in the top five. No, no. <laughs> anyway, what sorry. You is, what worth, you need I is, thought it was worth the mention. No, it's album, definitely worth the mention. Yeah. But the point is, Adam, we there's so much still to mention yeah, yeah. about this. Yeah. No, I think any album needs about seven months before you can categorically state that is the ninth best album of that year. Right. <laughs> Grand, cool. Sure. Well, in, Agreed. Case, in this case, the eighth best album. Yeah. Oh, eighth, was it? Yeah. It's still a cogent point, Craig. Um, number seven, though, let's have something that uh, goes down as probably my favorite discovery for me of the year. Number seven.
fucking love that. That is Special Interest, and the album is called Endure. I had never heard of them until about two months ago, mm. if that. So they are a band from New Orleans, Louisiana, and they're pretty great, I think, based on this album. This is their third album. Like I say, it's called Endure, the band are Special Interest. And I saw, I think Pitchfork gave it best new music, and I was like, much like with, say, Touche Amore and Lament last year, I was like... I like the look of that cover. It's getting best new music. I'm just going to throw it on. And this album knocked me out fucking immediately. This act are so high octane. Um, they themselves describe themselves as genre non-conforming, but have been, you know, put down as, say, pop, disco, house, glam, and punk. And I think it actually is all in there. Yeah. Across this album, it opens with a track called Cherry Blue Intention. And the first time I heard it, before the song had finished playing... I sent it to Adam and I was like, I think you might like this because there's disco stuff all over this. That kind of like... And I did. Yeah, I did really like it. And this is also the year of, you know, Beyonce and Drake getting into their house mode and I think there's house stuff on this as well. But (laughs) deep sigh from Craig. But this this album, I think, is such a knockout. It's about 45 minutes long. It kind of feels longer in a way that I like. I love how the vocals sit in the production. It feels like I'm in a fucking underground New York disco or something. Yeah, That's it's got that get, real grimy kind of feel to, get, to it, doesn't it's it? It's about to get raided, you know, <laughs> yeah. and the band know it. And they're like, can we just get through this song? And that song they played there, Herman's House, fucking rules. It's so alive. This album is so alive. It feels a bit dangerous. Everything sounds huge and perfect. The vocals, uh, Ali Logout, I think is the singer. Uh, this was just like one of those ones. It was like a hit and hope. I was like, I, this, you know, I, I thought I saw like, you know, special interest. Press play on my Spotify. Yeah, like, <laughs> I was like, I saw special interest in Jure and even like it's on the album cover. It's just big black letters. And I was like, oh, this must be a hardcore band or something. No, it turns out it's something much different, but just as appealing. Um, I love when this happens. It doesn't happen all the time. And it is mm. that thing as well of immediacy. By the time that first track was done, I knew I was onto something good. I knew this was going to be a good album. Turns Never gets out, old, does it, that feeling? It's the best. And I haven't had enough of it this year. And that's been yeah. the problem. And it was, I'm delighted that I got this album, if nothing else. So that's Endure by Special Interest. I hope it's a discovery for you. And I hope it's one that you love because it fucking rules. And I need to see this band live. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I, it's interesting that you described that track as uh, potentially dangerous because I was like, "This is a bit like CC Peniston's Finally." <laughs> like, oh finally? my god, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> but also, by like, if it was performed by like The Fall or something, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's um, like injected with so much cocaine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's always an interesting one where you've got a kind of a punk outfit that try and combine elements of dance and stuff like that because it can often be a bit like plasticky or just abrasive in the wrong way. Um, People know my stance on TFA, but... <laughs> Remind us, Craig. But, well, no, listen, we won't go into that. But um, I wasn't surprised that Pitchfork gave this a big kind of review because it reminded me of so much um, stuff that appeared on their, like, Pitchfork 500 thing uh, discussing, like, everything post-punk and that collision of disco and, like, the uh, the punk's old guard at the start of the 80s and there was just so much interesting music happening at that time. This sounds directly beamed from that time. Um, it's very public image in the best way, which is probably the only way to take public image because they were amazing. Um, the bass lines are tremendous throughout. Yeah. They're very hooky, um, both musically and Peter Hook. Yeah, um, and like that band, that, <laughs> like that band The Faint as well, which obviously took their yeah. cues from that era as well. Yeah. Just I, big fucking thick blast of electricity. Yeah. Um, I went in completely blind, I guess, to this band, but... um. 
I really, really liked it. By all accounts, they were harder and slightly more industrial on previous outings. Um, I don't know that stuff. Yeah, it, maybe they kind of veer that way as there, the record goes on. There could very well be like that. people who are like, this is their sellout album. I don't know that, but I don't think that myself. No, I don't, just, I don't think this is quite how you set out. This isn't going to get them a spot in Croker. No, it'll give them a spot at Coachella. Yes. <laughs> it feels, it's, it's sorry to cut across you, but it feels very like it to bring it back to local stuff. Um, really Good Time, our band who I've kind of championed. Oh, yeah, this yeah, year. yeah. Very yeah, that kind of energy. Um, so, yeah, big into it. Like it. All right. Good fun. And now for something completely different. <sighs> Number six. Number six. Chica Nair, uh, Heaven Come Crashing being the record, uh, Brooklyn composer that I came to know this year and I've been playing a huge amount and it's probably, it's got a good position I think, um, just coming after that special interest record in terms of soothing the brow slightly, although with that clip Dave probably not so much soothing the brow <laughs> by all accounts. Uh, I was trying to encapsulate an album that takes its time and bursts every now and then and trying and to then like, when it bursts yeah, yeah. it really really does. Turns and into I think, a fucking Sonic the Hedgehog level. Yeah. yeah. Casino <laughs> Night Zone. And that's the strength of the record it's that duality I think because so much of it is like you know, nice work music where it's um, quite ambient and interesting with very, very strong, just beautiful, unique textures that grip me instantly for like in a genre that I often go, oh, yeah, that's pleasant. And then never kind of go back to the acts again or feel like I don't quite, well, I, I, it wouldn't be my um, my kind of stomping ground at all. So I'm not quite up to speed. Um, Dahi would probably actually be the person to talk through all this kind of stuff. Well, let me ask you. Yeah. Did by any chance the same person recommend this album to both of us individually? I don't believe so. Okay. How did you discover this album? I think I just came across it online somewhere. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, who recommended it to you? Kobina, I believe. No. Kobina, of Definitely course. Kobina. That makes a Kobina lot of sense. Fame and yeah, Regera yeah. and great musician, Friendly great show. producer. I'm 99% certain he messaged me this out of the blue one day and was like, I think you'll like this. Really? And That's I really fucking do like this. Because it's not the kind of thing I would normally not, not like, but go to or reach for and I found myself doing it quite a lot I'd um, never heard of Rachika Nair can you please give some a primer yeah I, I mean there's <laughs> <laughs> Rachika Nair yeah yeah Brooklyn's, Brooklyn's finest, finest. <laughs> hey, he said it <laughs> he said the line um, yeah I don't I don't know a huge amount about her outside of her live show apparently is spectacular and she goes out of her way to make sure before she takes the stage that the entire venue is shrouded completely in fog and the lights are kind of frenetic and you're so disorientated, you don't know where you're going and you lose sense of everything except for your hearing, <laughs> essentially. And then she will come out and do this and she's all about the power of, I guess, rave culture. I was just going to say, yeah, uh, because it's very like, there's a lot of that baked into 
the sounds that are being used there and the sound design feels very invo- uh, like evocative of that and even like the reverbs that are being used in some of the synthesizers feel like they're bouncing off concrete walls in like a car park or yeah. some giant warehouse somewhere you know spot on I think she'd be very much the type of person that would be like um, we can make these concrete hell holes become sacred spaces <laughs> um, <laughs> and she talks a lot about like ego debt in her interviews and things uh, what's really striking to me about her as a composer and musician is how she has those elements and combines it with her guitar work which is pretty phenomenal and is kind of rooted a bit in like emo, I think, and yeah, post rock. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that. And really just gives a lot of character to the songs and brings um, her kind of flavour through quite a bit. Uh, she reminds me in her playing a lot of Vinnie Riley, uh, who's a great um, guitarist, Jerusi Cullum, um, Manchester artist from the kind of 80s. Um, this kind of mournful side and transcendent side to that kind of stuff. So it's just an interesting juxtaposition. Um, but by and large, it's quite ambient and gorgeous and just good to have, you know, on the background. And then quite quickly, you find it's like become part of your DNA. So, yeah, really strong. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, I'm not too familiar with drum and bass or breakbeats, etc. Yeah. And I've seen, again, the YouTube comments, people who would know about this kind of thing. And I'm a fucking not even a novice. Yeah. I'm a complete baby. I, I know nothing, but I know what I like, Craig. And I do love that ambience, that post rock, that explosion, that kind of video game territory as well. And I was really taken by this. It feels, it reminds me slightly of an act called Helios, uh, who would mostly... Oh, yeah, yeah. Helios, but yeah. that's mostly a lot a lot more plaintive and delicate. And that's in here as well. But you do also get those kind of, this will destroy you, explosion in the sky bursts as well. Uh, it's a it's a hell of an album. Um, and it was, like I say, I think it was Sean Cabina who threw it at me. If so, thank you. Uh, please go check this one out. Heaven Come Crashing by Rachika Nair. It's O-R-A-C-H-I-K-A-N-A-Y-A-R, just in case you want to go look it up right now, which you probably should do. Yes. Or as you could say with us, though, as we get into our top five. Top five bag. So, of course, we have a super cut. You're going to hear five cuts of audio, snippets, if you will, from our top five in alphabetical order. Let's go. Yes, I might have picked that last audio Why cut. did he fucking cancel his gig? Just <laughs> hear speakers go nuts. Okay, so you heard there in order. Arctic Monkeys, The Car, Big Thief, Dragon, New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You, 
Gang of Youths, Angel in Real Time, Let's Eat Grandma, Two Ribbons, and Pusha T, It's Almost Dry. They are the five albums that we have deemed the top five of the year. Now, of course, three of those appeared in the Songs of the Year top five, giving Craig and I a difficult task here to try and not just say the same stuff all over again. Yeah. But we'll do our best, and I'm sure we will say some similar things because we'll be tapping into similar emotions. Should we go in reverse order this time, maybe? Mix it up? Yeah, let's talk about Push. Let's talk Burn. about King Push. Push a T, as he's, as he's well known. Shall we take a quick listen? We, we, we just heard it there. We, we, we can have a chat first and we'll, we'll remind ourselves at a certain point. All right. It's an album about cocaine. <laughs> Which is a Specifically bit of a, a, selling cocaine. A bit of a departure for the man, <laughs> yeah, though, yeah. I have to say. I didn't realise he was involved in the drug trade. It came um, as a shock to me, I will say. Okay, Craig, if there's anyone listening who actually has no idea who Push T is, just, there might be. Um, Virginia's finest. Um, <laughs> one half of Clips with his um, brother Malice, who appears on um, at the end of, towards the end of this record as no Malice. Oh, Malice. He kind of left yeah. the game to find God, and he keeps popping up um, lately on kind of guest verses and stuff, and proving that he's still very very good. They're a legendary kind of uh, rap duo um, that collabed with the Neptunes back in the day. Um, you will know Grime. I'm sure, but a lot of their stuff. Uh, Pusha T went on to become the president, I believe, of Good Music, hooked up with Kanye West, um, has been a formidable coke rapper for his entire career, um, knows how to pick a beat, knows how to pick producers that know how to make beats, and um, destroyed Drake for a little bit. And uh, um, anything else we're missing out on? Um, that's a pretty good summary, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the last record I guess we got from him was Broken Hearts by, yeah, by Cancelling His Christmas Gig. Yeah, yeah. Daytona, yeah, was his last full length. And it was seven tracks. And it was um, amazing. Yeah, 20 something minutes. This is, um, more significant a, a release, I guess. Um, in terms of its substance, yeah. In terms of its substance, um, it's a split between Pharrell and Kanye, which is kind of like a coming full circle thing for him, I guess. And I guess the, the most telling thing about it is how much effort both producers clearly put into picking the beats. They clearly ho- hold him in like the highest of esteems um, because sonically this is... Tr- tremendously yeah. good and he is having such fun over it and yeah. <laughs> um, I marvel constantly I find myself okay in the last episode there was a lot of heavy songs where we were just talking about how we burst out crying as we listened to them I find myself bursting out laughing <laughs> to this record so much um, because I constantly marvel at how he can come up with new and inventive and unique ways to use selling cocaine as a metaphor for life and his struggles and philosophy and it's unbelievable. Some people are just like, you know, he, he needs to do... I read, I read a review of this there the other day where it was talking about how, you know, he's coming up to that age where, you know, Jay-Z was starting to do stuff like 444 and get more reflective and um, be interesting to hear a bit more about Pusha T's life and his um, fallibility as a man. And I'm just like, at this point, I think the braver artistic statement is just to don't back down double down on the coke for the rest of his career and see if he can continue to be this creative with it because the man is a lyrical genius. Um, his, aside from his bars, his flow is maybe my favourite in the games. It's such a kind of distinctive voice. His delivery of syllables alone is brilliant. Um, 
There's a wealth of kind of classics on this. There's some tracks that, like, it's not a perfect record. There's a couple of numbers where I'm like, is this just trying to be a radio song and it's a bit weaker? I think there's a couple of momentum killers yeah, on this yeah. one. I think it hits, I, I think the first half of this album is is just pure uncut cocaine. No, it's um, <laughs> it's incredible. Like, it's just non- non-stop. And also, like, a song like Dreaming of the Past, right? Like, it has one of my favourite lines when he says, Kevlar in his Balenciaga jacket lining. I'm like... Just like, how does he do it? <laughs> how does he do it, Craig? Cocaine's Dr. Zeus. Cocaine's uh. Dr. Seuss. Uh, oh yeah, like Let the Smoker Shine the Coops is amazing. Brambleton is an incredible opener. We, we we gushed all over rock and roll in the last one. Diet yeah. Coke was the lead single. It's tremendous. Great song, yeah. I do think that it's that was, an album. Sorry, of... the Fat Joe sample at the start of that is so good. Yesterday's price is not today's price. So, so good. It's great. There's There are songs here that feel like instant classics, but there is a couple that come along and I'm like, it's a bit in its own way like like slightly meandering at times and I'm just like not that he loses me but it just kind of hits a point where I'm like yeah like I wish he could have kept up this level of energy yeah maybe that's not possible I mean like call my bluff I don't love it and scrape it off as well I think it it, it slightly weighs down the back half and I think I Pray For You is an amazing ending with no malice on there and Labyrinth I think it's fucking incredible but the first six songs right are just outrageous. Like it is so top tier of his game. Yeah. And like, it's like you said earlier on, like I think he is the most uh, charismatic, inviting showman. Yeah. Like you're going to have a good time with this, no matter what he's saying or how he's doing it. Cause he just has this incredible cool. He's one of the coolest rappers ever. Like it's ridiculous. He's just you, like his whole thing about this well was like, you know, he was just like playing Kanye West and Pharrell off each other yeah. In a game of one-upsmanship. And he was like, I'll sit back and count the profits, basically. <laughs> and they're just like, yes, push, no problem. We will we will give you the best beats we have right now. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, of course you will. Yeah, He's hypnotic. He's just like, he entrances you. You can't not root for the guy. Yeah, I And agree. again, if I was him, right, I would just put the story about it on on every record I ever released. <laughs> and I wish he did. I wish he was like, that would you know, be so you know good. I'm putting yeah. it on here. Um, I think this is a really strong album, but I do think it's kind of an album of two halves. I think the first one is so much better than the second one. It's his Hot Fuss, Craig, is what I'm getting at. Oh, wow. I think it's stronger than Hot Fuss in terms of the second half. But I agree there's there's momentum killers. And I do think the high points are absolutely sublime. I don't know if they hit the very highest peaks of Daytona where I'm just like, these are like hip-hop classics. Just absolute all-timer songs. If you know, you know, the games we play. Yeah. Harpy, like that first trio, actually the whole... The whole that album is kind of bulletproof. It kind of is. I think it's a modern classic, but let's remind ourselves of a highlight that we just yeah. heard bringing, in, bringing this in. I can make you lose your sleep. You millionaires on just TV. Now make it make sense to me. If money is the evil root, let the smokers shine the coops. Rich bitches that love the boost. I'm just here to find the truth. If kilograms is the proof, I threw the golden goose. I got him, baby, I'm Jim Perdue. Cocaine's Dr. Seuss. What a line. What a man. Yeah. And obviously, we're having our fun with the cocaine, but like... Okay. <laughs> in terms of the lyrical reference, I'm doing that a lot lately, I'm not Cocaine. Um... <laughs> Like stuff like Brambleton and there's other songs and he's got them in his catalogue. He is talking about his life. Um, he is a great storyteller. Like that opening is kind of um, 
setting to rights the the kind of back and forth between him and his ex manager. He made some kind of accusations about like him not being you know as street as he was, and just like he can do that thing of like, I'll dip into my life. I will set a set a scene and completely just get you back on my side. Um, and I don't think it matters whether he's talking about singing cocaine or anything else. Like he is he is that adaptable. But I think like. He's the coke rapper. Like he is the best that's ever done it and he should stick to it. It's like, you know, you don't, you wouldn't get Gary Kasparov to start playing snooker or something. Do you know what I mean? Phenomenal. Stick in your lane. <laughs> I love it. Um, there's some great cocaine references throughout the... Are there? Um, <laughs> I was, I was going to make a list of them, right? but I was listening to it last night and one I thought might be, well, it is a cocaine reference, but then the second line I thought, is that also somehow a cocaine reference? So I went to Genius and I was like, oh. <laughs> so on Open Air, which is probably actually one a slightly weaker song, but he's got the line, bricks like blocks of government cheese. Okay, grand. 700 for the Japanese dungarees. And I'm like, Japanese dungarees, what's that a reference to? <laughs> and I was on Genius. And the explanation is, Push is likely referring to a piece from uh, Junya Watanabe's 2012 spring <laughs> menswear collection, which had a heavy emphasis on farmware. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Imagine yeah. living this man's life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you need that in your collection. There's so much heaviness around, you know, it's just, it's good to stick on some push sometimes. Okay, well, look, from, from insane opulence um, <laughs> and city living to the backwoods, perhaps, I don't know, is that where they're from? Let's have a listen to Big Thief, shall we? So that's Time Escaping from Big Thief's double album, I believe. Dragon, yep. New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. 20 songs, quite long. Craig, can we get you to do the... do the? Oh, you want me to do the... Can you do the thing, please? Dragon, New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You! Yeah, that's what I, was, yeah, I was looking for that. Thank you very much. And You're not welcome. to paint uh, any kind of ill picture of Big Thief when I say backwards, but they put out the vibe, certainly in their press photos, that they are some kind of, you know, feral... From Brooklyn. Nomadic. <laughs> that's... That's the look, though. <laughs> it you know? is, yeah. And they're actually, in fairness, from all over the country. And they would record in quite rural places. Yeah, they're very much of America. Yeah, they are of America, Craig. But also, I mean, again, and like, maybe I'm just casting a lot of aspersions here. I don't mean to. But I will say, right, I <laughs> I recently sent a photograph of an unnamed Irish band, new kind of press shot to someone. And they were like, they said... This is, uh, they said, from the school of the, the band has just had sex with each other photo shoot as popularized by Big Thief. Oh, yeah. They do look a bit like they might reside in a commune. And that's fine. I'm not casting judgment here. Yeah, but like, I mean, it makes for great music. Let's talk about the music. It's, um, all, it's all about the music with us. It's, uh, listen, <laughs> tangents? No, not not here. So, um, again, we talked about it with Wise Blood to a degree. This felt like an immediate coronation. Yeah, comes out. Everyone's like best <clears throat> album of the year. It's amazing. Uh, we did review it, and it's a lot, right? It is the the Kendrick Lamar album, but from a much different point of view. In terms of like, it's like let's just fucking throw everything out. Here's twenty songs. Here's a double album. Yeah, and the Big Thief thing. I think mostly beloved by hipster darlings. They are hipster darlings. Yeah. 
I like some of it. I don't love all of it, and I find it a bit, a bit like what's the point sometimes, you know? I doesn't the, the full magic of it doesn't... I, I get it in glimpses, yeah. you know? So here's a double fucking album. I don't like yeah. It once once it hit shelves or you know streaming services, there was that coronation element. I think the run up it was a bit like uh, I certainly felt a bit unsure of what potential direction they might be going. Um, there was obviously the kerfuffle around the album title, <laughs> "Dragon You More Mountain." I believe in you, which is incredible. I love it as a, as a title. But people were like, oh, "Okay, where are they going with this?" Not a single comma in there either. Not a single comma. Um, it does just flow magnificently like fire from a dragon um the double album thing the 20 song thing yeah my initial reaction was okay this is not really what they need to do the, the previous this is their fifth record the previous two had been released the same year and were seen as kind of twin albums i think we reviewed both one was um of the skies ufof um and then two hands was a kind of earthier kind of alt rock album i preferred um, that one yeah, uh, there was great stuff on both, but I think I remember like once we reviewed the second one going, okay, what they need to do is kind of um, find a singular <clears throat> a focal point of all their strengths and make that one taut classic. And they came out with a, a kind of their their own white album, which is just like, yeah, here's everything we got. Didn't Adrian Lenker put out like two albums in between yeah, this as well? releases a lot of solo stuff. So they're super um, prolific. The album title comes from, it's like a response to a line in one of her songs, um, one of her solo songs, which is just another thing of just like, she's just constantly writing and it's all part of the same thing, really. Um, and I think actually that's why this album works because I think she is just constantly writing um, by all accounts and I haven't caught them live over the past year, but they will just be like, here's a new song. Like they're already over these 20 songs. And I think it's a testament to the fact that they're actually in a real purple patch. I had a lot of love for the band, um, got on board with the first album. I was like, okay, there's something kind of special here. But this album really, I genuinely, I think it worked for me on a level that it hasn't quite worked for you because I think they've they've taken that step up to um, the high table. Like I, I really think 20 songs here, I don't think there's a weak song on it. I, I think it's remarkable what they've achieved. Now, it's all of an ilk, like it's all coming from a very rootsy Americana folk rock um, source. So, and I think they... In fairness, they do a lot of dexterous, interesting, inventive, different things within that mould. But if you're not in the mood for something that sounds like Neil Young could have recorded in the 70s, it might be a bit of a slog. Or yeah, it could have escaped the soundtrack to Oh Brother Quiet though as well at times. Sure, like, yeah. Spud Infinity, that kind of stuff. No, I mean, I, I feel like I'm naysaying, but I do like this album. It is in my top 10, you know. So, yeah. But it's in the lower kind of half. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I find it to be unwieldy to a fault at times and overwhelming and again you know like you know I, I really want to stop attacking albums for having too many tracks and <laughs> you know it's my, it's my fucking boring signature but at the same time it's like Jesus like it's uh, it hits a point where you're like that was great do I need eight more songs of this like I don't know if I do and I don't think it doesn't justify itself but yeah. I just don't know if I need this much Big Thief I think that it becomes a thing of like, okay, well, if the songs are all good, just for the sake of sitting, you know, having one listening session of it, would you rather they just put out stuff later on or held the songs back? Or here's a question, actually. So for these kind of longer albums, which aren't your kind of go-to, and I would be the same, would you prefer um, less tracks, longer tracks, more of an experience, or 
this thing of they're all kind of pop songs there's loads of them so you don't get bored of one long kind of track but you're maybe losing some of the the narrative flow the kind of space the room to breathe that a longer album gives you well this is very clearly coming from the mindset of someone who enjoys you know making your own version of a long album yeah which you've done before I have uh, the choose your own adventure thing, yeah. essentially. I mean, uh, it's a tough one to answer because, again, I find myself in that place where it's like, well, who am I to tell them what to do? Who am I to be like, no, lads, give me 20 bangers or give me, like, as you say, maybe eight beautifully elongated yeah. masterworks. I mean, you know, like, that is a place I want to get away from. Um, so that's me dodging your question entirely. The answer is I don't know. Because, I mean, even, for example, like that year where they put out those two records... And everyone was falling over themselves for UFOF, which I think is good. And then Two Hands comes out and I was like, oh, now I kind of get it. Like, you know, Not, for example, is like one of the best songs I've ever heard by anybody. I think I'd prefer that. I think I think if, it was, if this was two albums, if this was Dragon New Orm Mountain in March and then it was I Believe in You in September, I'd be like, all right, cool. I, can... I love the audacity of the double album, though. I think it's just great I mean, that they were it, like, we stand behind Who did it better than Red Hot Chili Peppers this year? <laughs> <laughs> two double albums. <laughs> Pepperman. <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked about their comeback this year. Yeah, no, I mean, won't be. Um, oh, man, I slogged through both. I'm a. Do you know what? Did I'm, you go to the second album? Wild. Yeah. Why? Because there's actually more kind of um, <clears throat> interesting stuff. It's not just them trying to remember what the Red Hot Chili Peppers sounded like. Or they kind of take trying some to be risks. pirates. Yeah, there's. Oh, they're well, always that was, no, that, that was a risk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that wasn't a risk. That's true. Um, but there's some interesting kind of Shante stuff and like he's he's clearly trying to be like, oh, electronic music exists on some of the tracks. So, But I will say the most Red Hot Chili Peppers listening I've done this year, just to completely go milk. off on tangent, is, no, is um, John Frusciante being interviewed by Rick Rubin probably. Oh, yeah. That's been the best thing about the like a five-part series, yeah. And the new one just dropped, yeah, where he's just talking about his entire career and it's really interesting. Well, let me ask you a couple of big thief questions yeah. to turn it back around. Um, essentially... If someone came to you and said, hey, I've heard a lot about this act and I really want to get into them, but it seems a bit overwhelming. Is this the album to start with? Yes. It is? I think it is. Okay. I think it's, I think it's their strongest set of songs. Okay. And um, also, like, you know, not to do the news night, you know, ambient chill acts, what's it all about? <laughs> but again, if you're like, look, I'm a bit, they're a bit of a barrier for me. You know, like, how would you put this record down on paper? Like, what is it about? Um, <sighs> is it a howl of pain or about the state of the world today or... Ambient chillax. I think it's about the power of a collective and creativity when faced with very modern problems, which I think is a theme that crops up on a lot of these records and songs we've been talking about. But I do think it's very connected to, um, again, Neil Young's work from the get-go, that kind of cosmic Americana vibe, um, which is related to how do we integrate kind of past traditions with a way forward, a better way forward for people. Um that sounds very highfalutin, but I do think Adrienne Lanker is probably the best person to write about that kind of thing because she has a very unique unique take on the world. I think her imagery and her kind of lyrics are quite striking and she immediately lifts the songs out of... Like, there's a lot of songs here where you, could, you can see the traces of folk rock and rootsy stuff and this could be any folk act. Now, I think the str- songs are stronger by themselves, but I think her perspective the world she creates, the kind of childlike um, weirdness and uncanniness that's in a lot of this stuff, the undercurrent of just like darker stuff going on and more magical stuff just really brings it to life. And I think she's a really strong um, 
a kind of lightning rod for the rest of the band. Like they, they do look like they're living in a commune together in photo shoots. And I think that's not because there's some photographer being like, here's how like rock hipsters like huddle together. I think it's because they're probably slightly too close and they do think she's probably a demigod <laughs> and they do give her as a unit a kind of safe space to just write a billion songs, which she probably wouldn't have elsewhere. So what I'm saying is that socialism works and it should sweep America. <laughs> Did that answer your question? Oh yeah, perfectly, yeah. Adam, let's move to Australia. Can I hear a bit of Gang of Youths, please? Right to the left of the superstar Climb the dependable shooting guard Wait and find out See what the undercard is about So, that, that is Gang of Youths. The album is Angel in Real Time. And, you know, on the last episode, we kind of got into it with the song Brothers. This album, the entire album is constructed around the passing of frontman of this band, David LaPepe. Again, I hope I'm pronouncing his surname correctly. I'm sure I'm not. His father died and it's him coming to terms with all of this. And it's in every single track on this album. This is a long album. It's about an hour and seven minutes long. Yeah. And I, again, you know, when I finally allowed myself to go to go to it, I was absolutely blown away by it. Um, I, I've seen criticisms, you know, like the Guardian and the Pitchfork, you know, I kind of, after I spent a couple of weeks with it, or maybe even just a week with it, I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. I wonder, you know, I, I can't wait to read all the nine out of tens. And yeah. Pitchfork was like a 6.7, Guardian was a three out of five, and they were both kind of making the point that while they absolutely recognise the message and they think that it's very admirable and oftentimes quite beautiful, for them it was very overwhelming, maybe too many ideas, maybe too long, and, you know, maybe, I don't know, like maybe it could have used a bit more refining or something. And I, I understand that from a critical point of view. Um, you know, a lot of these songs kind of average about four or five minutes in length. The song that we played there was the closer, Goal of the Century, um, a lot of soccer references in this, a lot of football. Yeah, always good. You get a reference to a, a copite coach at Goodison. <laughs> so Rafa Benitez is in there. You get a reference to Benoit Asuakatu. Don't get that on every album, do you? Does <laughs> that rhyme with? You also get um, <coughs> you get a reference to F1 driver Daniel Ricciardo, who's a friend of the band. Hey. Uh, <laughs> one for Adam there. Um, but this is mostly about, you know, like the 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 moment that uh, I find myself in currently about how the son has to become the father, you know, even if not literally, yeah. and how you have to move on. And, like, there's just there's just such beautiful tenderness on this one from the get-go. Uh, the first track is called You and Everything, and it's about how David LaPepe will now see his father in everything. Um, everywhere he goes, you know, there'll be a remnant of him. And, you know, that is true from my own experience this year. I mean, like, again... I, I will now have to get into personal territory. Uh, I look at the lyrics here and they're just like, <laughs> you know, I find myself back in the hospital room with my own father yeah. in January of this year. You can't not. And there's just, you know, there's just some 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 incredible stuff here. Like, like I didn't, I was going to pick uh, from that open track, I was going to pick a line or, or like a cut from it, but I actually picked the one that we picked out because I think it's a bit more euphoric. But... Like, there's lines here where it's, you know, it'll torture me at first, then it'll hurt a little less, and I will pour through every piece of you till nothing you is left. Just your eyes and my reflection and the heavy thing now beating in my chest. We held you in your bed, we washed you in your sheets, and sang you hymnals from the islands till you drifted off to sleep. 
then I kiss the hands that raised me for the last time and I stared out into the street. It's like, I mean, <clears throat> writing about the death of a loved one is not a new thing. It's probably been in songs forever and probably will be. And again, it's that YouTube comment section of the internet where you go to an emotional song and you will find hundreds of comments from people who are referring, you know, it's such a weird corner of the internet that I just love, the oversharing of it all. And yeah, I mean, this album, I, I, I guess I pushed past it, but now I've tuned into it. The last couple of weeks, I've been listening to it quite regularly. I ran it and bought the vinyl. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful record. And every single track is like this. And I guess the point I'm trying to make here is I don't find it upsetting. I don't yeah. find it depressing. It doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, it makes me cry, but it doesn't hurt me. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful tribute uh, to clearly a complicated individual. You know, like I say, like whether it's a track like Brothers, there are references to how, you know, their father had another life that they didn't know about yeah. and how he made mistakes. And it's about trying to reconcile that and trying to keep him in the world, I suppose, and try and find a way to move on yourself as a human being and as an adult. But it's it's devastating and it has been a devastating year, you know, from my own point of view and you can't listen to music like this every single day. And I think when you do allow yourself to get in there, it's just heart-wrenching. But I'm so glad that there's stuff like this out there. I'm so glad that there are people who are putting this together. And like, I mean, <clears throat> what an indulgence, right? The frontman of a band. Hey, lads, I'm making this album about my father. That's it. <laughs> like, um, It could be a solo album, I suppose. But as a band, I think they come together quite winningly on this. And I think songs like The Angel of 8th Avenue, which, you know, I would have heard last year. Yeah. And it's such a straight ahead belter. I was really, really taken by how often this this worked and how often it soared. Is it maybe three or four songs too long? Yeah, it could be. Uh, do they make the point really well and then make it again? Yeah, definitely. But like, you know, even in the closing tracks, Hand of God, about Maradona, of course, and Goal of the Century, about the same, about the goal, the other goal he scored in that game. I mean, you know, I'm okay with that. And I think it needs to be a bit imperfect. And I, I think that the confessional nature of it and just the sheer massive beating heart in it is impossible to avoid. And yeah, it's been like, it's been a, it's been a tough companion in these last couple of weeks as the, as the year draws to a close and as I near my father's one year anniversary and how... You know, I just, these, 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 these tracks do stop you and I do find myself every day like struggling with this whole thing and this reality that I'm in and I wish, I wish I'd written an album like this. Mm. I wish I'd written these songs. I wish I could play these songs before my dad. I wish I could like, you know, you know, try and convey that emotion. But I think a huge part of this as well is that it's very, very clear that this guy loved his father, but also that they struggled a bit. And I think that that's one of those kind of cyclical natures in the world. It's very, very hard to create a perfect harmony with this one. But um, also, yeah, from the critical point of view, I mean, do you think it kind of does too much? Uh, I do. I think it's overly long. I think it insists upon itself. No, <laughs> not that <laughs> well, second it does. verse. <laughs> and it is. Well, it's doing, do you know what? I think this might be, I don't know, but I would imagine this might be one of like Bono's favourite albums of the year if he's heard it. Because it comes from that source of big hearted, um, like completely sincere, you know, fuck irony, let's talk about real shit and let's get ambitious with it and connect with people. School of Rock, which is very much um, mm. not um, flavour of the month or the decade or it's probably why you went to look for look at reviews and it was just like, yeah, three stars because the songs are good and we can't really fault it, but we, we don't do this kind of thing anymore, do we? Like they're the kind of band that would have been probably massive 15 years ago um, 
And I know they're already quite big, but probably getting slightly more critical plaudits. But then I think, are they a band that would be head and shoulders above other bands back then? Or are they now just an outlier where it's like, we're getting something we don't get elsewhere um, from this band at this moment in time, but is it the best kind of example of it? Um, I think, yeah, I got kind of swept up in this record um, a good few times. I think it's very... It's obviously very emotionally charged, but because it's so out of pace, bar the odd ballads, you just kind of pound out your problems listening to it. It goes in a journey with you and it's very supportive. I think, you know, to get very um, functional about it, the hooks are massive. Playing is very strong. Um, I do think it is like an Australian iteration of maybe The Killers. It is kind of coming from an arcade fire school of like, this is built for big crowds. Um, Obviously it works alone in headphones as well. But I do kind of, I do think sometimes this is a really strong execution of that idea. And maybe my favourite example of it is, it's like that Waterboys thing of like when... um, they used to talk about like the big music, like let's let's fucking get like really soulful and let's find that kind of that communal side of rock and like let's just put our hearts in our sleeves and have huge, humongous tunes. Um, you know, this this comes from the same creative well as a the whole of the moon or something like that. I'm not sure there's a song on here as good as that, but I think it's it's pulling off that very very nicely. My one thing with it. Yeah, there's a couple of tracks where it feels like, okay, you've made that point already. My other thing would be like, are they doing anything new with it or utterly unique? Or is it, is it a friend we haven't seen in ages? You know, is it that kind of music that we're like, oh, fuck, yeah, this is what we used to listen to all the time. And it's someone finally doing a fucking well again. Do you know what I mean? That's a really, maybe that's all you yeah, need. No, yeah. <laughs> that's a really, really beautiful way of putting it. The friend we haven't seen in ages thing. I think that's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's fucking perfect, man. Um, all right, let's keep it emotional. Yeah, <laughs> with the car by Arctic Book. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's Let's Eat Grandma. The song is Watching You Go and it's from the album Two Ribbons. We will get to Arctic Monkeys, but I was doing a joke. Um, so here's the thing, right? I mean, we talked a lot about it in the last episode, but like, you know, we can talk about it again. I, I think this is a masterpiece of emotion and vivid musicianship. Mm-hmm. I, I was stunned and I still am to see it not even dent a lot of end of year lists. Guardian had it in theirs. I think it was like number 31 or something. Didn't go. It didn't make stereo gums list. It didn't make pitchforks and who knows where else. So I don't know if people just didn't hear this album or if they, for some bizarre reason, weren't all that impressed by it. I really think it's incredible. Like, there's an element here, of course, of like, is this open and shut? You know, is this the album of the year? I mean, we reviewed it back. You know, I know Adam was disgusted that I think I was like, and it's an eight out of ten for me. I wasn't disgusted. I was confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a subtle difference. Well, it can is, you remember the exact quote that preceded his eight out of ten? Well, like, what was he talking about specifically? I can't. Like, I can't exactly remember. I just, I know I just wanted to ask the question because it's a very emotive review. It was genuinely and it was kind of like this. This record. 
record is one of the greatest, you know, emotion. Like, this record has literally just saved my life and that's why it's an 8 out of 10. <laughs> it's like something like that. I, no, I, I think the question I asked was like, where did it lose to? Yeah. Because you had it at 9 and you were like, yeah. I could see it going to a 10. But I'm increasingly moving away from this, I think, now, from, from numbers, because I just think that they're fucking silly. I think I only enjoy putting ratings on things on my letterboxed account. And even then, I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's a three and a half. I don't know. Yeah. Like, ratings to me over the years have gone from being, like, the most important thing of all time to, well, now I don't really... Do they matter? They don't no, really. I mean, well, they, no, they have a place. I mean, like, they absolutely have a place. And I mean, like, for a few reasons. One, if you're, like, a skip-to-the-end kind of person... Or if you want to just make that kind of quick statement and move on, especially with like somewhere like Letterboxd where like, you know, rye one-liners are the order of the day. But ultimately, they have a place. And they also allow for marketing purposes and for just, you know, whatever the fuck. But at the same time, it's about the content of the review, hopefully reflective of the content of the work. And in this case, uh, Rosa Walton and Jenny Hollingworth, Let's Eat Grandma, their third album, it's incredible. Their first two albums are great as well. I mean, like... No, they did. They did kind of. Um, their hit rate is really, really strong. Like I was going to say, they lost something, but they kind of sacrificed. They shed some of the more um, rough edges of their previous sound, and like the kind of the more psychedelic elements and the slight, slight, you know, messy experimentalism. Like these are much more um, collected songs. I think deceptively simple because there's a huge amount going on and I think they revealed themselves over time. But I do think it's like, it's a mature set compared to the first two where you'd be like, it's immediately ear catching. So maybe people were just like, oh, are they doing a kind of pop record now without mm. the backstory? Which again is slightly odd considering that they, you know, they wrote separately and yeah. combined their talents yeah, yeah. individually essentially. Um, and like, but I, Craig used the word like, you know, the audacity or the audaciousness of the Big Thief record. I think I think it's audacious to f- make a song like Watching You Go, which we heard there, which is about the death of your lover, your boyfriend, and to dress it up in this very forward moving dance pop song, which breaks into a fucking edge like guitar solo at the end. Yeah. Like what's that doing there? But from start to finish, I mean, like, you know, whether it's Happy New Year, whether it's Hall of Mirrors, Strange Conversations, the aforementioned title track, which, you know, fucking broke my heart and continues to. Um, I just think that this is such a treasure of a record. I think it is. It's a conversation between two best friends who, and again, I'm getting emotional. Jesus Christ. Uh, this fucking album. I mean, it's a conversation between two best friends who potentially may have been going in two different directions and might still. Yeah. But it's about them putting down this document, I think, and something that they can... In Norwich, by the way, let's not forget. (laughs) So much to do over there, I presume. But I mean, like, I think, like, it's a case of... It feels like they're like like, like they were, again, in the construction of the songwriting, but it feels like the album is them writing a letter to each other that also is about Billy Clayton, who passed away, who, you know, was the boyfriend of one of them and, I guess, the really good friend of the other. And that in and of itself is such a seismic, traumatic life event He's honoured. He's on this album without being on the album. You know, it's like... And then these songs are just, like, extremely accessible. They're just really, like, warm and good and inviting and well-written and well-structured and they work as pop songs and they work as dance songs and they work as rock songs. they got big choruses and huge hooks. I love the vocals. I love the experimentation, even though Craig is right. They have toned it down a bit. There's no, like, 11-minute Donnie Darko on here, even if I love that song. Probably wouldn't fit on here. And I think it is the maturity of a group which already was showing intense signs of promise. And it feels like something that you would bury in your back garden and dig up in 40 years' time and maybe just listen to 
by yourself, but it is such a fucking gift of empathy to the world. And it just knocks me out. I was listening to it again today on the way over and I was like, it's, it's just, it's, it's a fucking, it's a frequency. Like, like, like mm. it's a, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful frequency. And again, I'm just, I'm furious that people haven't, you know, and put it up there this year. Yeah. For, for as much as it's about these, these tree people, this kind of, these, these childhood friends and they're kind of, self-contained world it's very welcoming as well like in terms of it brings you into their world you feel a great deal of empathy for them even you know you talked about the different types of golden songs that are on there the lesser tracks where it's just like they're like interludes in the cemetery for example where it's just like kind of bird song and it's it's scene setting for it's letting you know when they like I think that relates to they would go for walks in the cemetery together when they were just trying to put these songs together and talking out the problems and just trying to get to a place where they were close again and you have the fucking oral document of what that was like for them and it's a part of this patchwork of the record um, and it all just feels greater than the sum of its parts and the parts are great like so it's just um, it's our number one album of the year <laughs> <laughs> we still have one more album to talk we, about yeah, we do we do so let's we, uh, let's talk about it yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, talk let's, about hear, it. let's hear the closing seconds of Craig's favourite album of the year turns on to the final You had to play that clip after I was just fucking welling up about Let's Eat Grandma. Yeah, it's Arctic Monkeys, it's The Car. That's the closing track, Craig. What's it called? It's called Perfect Sense. Perfect Sense. Sometimes I wrap my head around it all and it makes perfect sense. At the end of a record that doesn't make a lot of sense until you listen to it for like the 15th time, which I've done. <laughs> <laughs> Putting the work in, Craig. It's a more minor, subtle work than Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. It's more of the same in a lot of ways for people that didn't like it, but I think it actually transitions quite a good bit. Um, it's pared back. It's very buttoned up. It's um, like, I think Alex Turner talked about the last record being like an anthology of stories, but like sci-fi stuff with with that kind of backing. This is like his spy novel where it's very, it's kind of all business and it's all details of like these winding roads that you're driving down and like, get something from the car and like the fucking, you know, mini bottle of champagne and sweeping a room for bugs. But within it all is deep existential <laughs> angst and him screaming, I'm a bit fucked up and I don't know what to do. And I just love the way he disguises everything he's saying throughout the record. Um, that song, for example, first few listens through without making a huge impression. Um, but after kind of getting to know the album, it did reveal itself as like this slight, um, wistful, but actually most open-hearted song on the record that actually unlocked the rest of the album and had me thinking this might be the best piece of writing he's done just by how he says so much with so little. And there's loads of examples of that throughout the record where more unassuming tracks where you're not sure if there's a lot going on will suddenly just un, un kind of lock themselves with a couple of uh, lines um, if you put the work in 
not everyone would be arse putting in the work and you know there's a lot going on I don't blame people but I've been enjoying it have you gone back to it much? I haven't gone back to it yeah. much um, in as much as like I haven't listened to it you know 15 times in one day or anything yeah. but uh, nothing. I didn't say one day <laughs> um, one week perhaps yeah, uh, okay, I've gone back sure. to it but I, it made me go back to Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino more Okay, and it made me appreciate that album more I am on board with the direction that they're going in I just it doesn't quite on this one it doesn't like grasp me as hard as it as it does to you because it's like I do think though like you know the, the the opener and the closer are like maybe maybe the best opener and closer all year I mean like mm-hmm. they're up there you know yeah. definitely definitely up there um, and I just I find that I'm still too kind of at arm's length from it like I think I'm too out of remove from it at times uh, I don't I, I know the emotion is there and I believe that he is sincere but I'm not fully tapped into it. And at times I think it is kind of like, it, it felt a bit, let's let's just put some strings on it, you know? There were times when I was just like, okay, cool. Like, oh, really? So you didn't fe- have that thing of like, you feel, felt like it was fully integrated? <sighs> it just felt a little artificial at times. And I can't fully articulate why, but there was just times when I was like, these just feel a little bit like we're in the BBC studios for the day. You know, <laughs> it's a nice place to be. And we've access to the to, to to this setup. Let's go for it. And it does increasingly feel like you know, art, like Alex Turner solo albums with his band, which is fine. Yeah, they do seem very much on board. Yeah, yeah. Like I think a lot of the ideas seem to come from um, them. And also, I thought um, Matt Helder's playing on a throughout is really kind of he's very good. good. Yeah. He's like always he's, been a fabulous drummer, yeah. and like I think you know his. Yeah, he adds new kind of strings to his bow, so to speak, to make a horrendous mixed musical metaphor there. <laughs> But um, no, they're definitely like a lot more interesting at this stage of their career than I thought they would be. Yeah. And I know everyone loves AM and it's got some absolute belters and it's their most commercially successful album. But I never loved it, you know? I was like, this is a bit to the stadium, isn't it? Yeah, that was the, probably the point where I felt furthest away from them. Um, I enjoyed the songs, but it didn't feel like this isn't connecting with me on an emotional level. It's interesting the way we both react to different, I mean, you know, Gang of Youth for you made a huge impact and I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, the subject feel, matter was always, I mean, like, it's just so... Yeah, of course. You feel like this has got you at arm's length and that might be the reason I love it so much <laughs> and want to get obsessed with it. And, like, maybe I need to go into therapy because I'm just, like, I'm drawn to the aloof at arm's length thing. That's what fascinates well, me. Well, everyone should be in therapy. And, yeah. I, and I say that as, like, you know, it should be fucking available, like, water from yeah, the tank. Like, here, here. But, you know, it isn't. Um, yeah, which I guess maybe we've got you, music still though. Maybe you're trying to bring us on to how do we how do we put how these? Does it, yeah, I'll, this is maybe harder than the songs one because again, it feels like a whole other episode that we were talking about Pusha T, but it was only about twenty minutes ago, and he shouldn't be lost in the shuffle. No one should here at all, really. And to go back to even Adam's kind of points about do ratings matter? Does this top five order matter? Probably not. Do podcasts matter. Do we? I got very meta there. <laughs> like, do ratings matter? Does anything matter? Does it matter? off on you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that these are five ter- terrific albums. That was very fucking... Terrific albums. Radio X of me there, wasn't it? Five. Five bangers. Um, yeah, I don't fucking know, man. I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost willing to be like, let's just not write them. But that's also <laughs> the task, the, the the task we've given ourselves. So, All right, um, let's, let's, let's see how this works out. Okay. I'm going to say... I'm going to say Gang of Youth's five because it means a lot to me on a personal level. I'm also still discovering it. I'm still unpacking it. There's a lot in there. And I found it to be 
a warm-hearted companion that I can relate to in a way that I wish I couldn't. I desperately, desperately wish yeah. that, I, that, that it wasn't so personally resonant for me, but it is. But it is like a lot of other records that have kind of found their way into my life, even before my father's passing, like, you know, knowing it was coming. Um, it's it's a milestone. I think it's an important touch point for me now. Like, it'll, it'll mean something, and yeah. it will always be there. And it does, you know, it's not quite so celestial that I throw it on and he's back in the room. It's not that. It's about, I think it's about acceptance, which I'm finding very hard. And I think, you know, as well, like it's a point I was making to my fucking therapist today and I made it to to, to Zara recently when I was chatting to her. Like, I mean, and I know how stupid this sounds. It's not stupid, but I know how, we all know how the world works. And I think, I find it really, really tough that, you know, coming on this almost a year at this point, it's like, <laughs> there's no human beings work off a reward system right don't we yeah. Cause that, that's what it's all about it's, you get through your fucking stressful job or whatever it is you got going on in your day because you look towards things that you can that feel tangible like you know you're like a holiday I might book and that's there in three months time or you know the love of this person in my life or even something just a material possession like I'm getting a fucking PS5 or something I don't know yeah that's you know like you, that human beings require these rewards and these 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 things that are there to make you feel a bit better about how hard life can be because life is suffering like that's a buddhist fucking mantra you know like it actually that's just the way of it you know yeah and i find weird as this sound potentially selfish as the sounds that like for me the last 12 months or thereabouts have been a case of it just sucks <laughs> and yeah. it's like there isn't someone going to step out of the shadows, the world itself, and say, hey, Dave, we know how much this hurts, and we know that you're getting on with it, and you're, quote-unquote, doing your best. Yeah. And, you know, life moves on at a tremendous pace, and we're going to do something nice for you to uh, to, to acknowledge this for you. We're, 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 we're going to do something for you. That doesn't fucking happen. Yeah. And that's pain, and that sucks, and that's life, and I'm finding that very hard because that's just the way of it. And of course, selfish as that sounds, what I also find very, very hard is that I can't give my father a hug. Yeah. I hate that so fucking much. So maybe moments like this, whether it's the Gang Youths album, whether it's the Let's Eat Grandma album, whether it's the Touche Amore album from last year or the year before, maybe I need to just kind of grab these as moments in music and moments in art where it does feel like someone is speaking to me directly and personally, and I am at that table with them. Yeah. And on an album like the Gang of Youths one, I can recognize like, hey, look, you know, it's a bit big for its own good, and it is repetitive. And, you know, it's, you know, maybe it is a bit indulgent in that way, and, you know, maybe it is a, a 7 out of 10. But I think it's a beautiful thing, and I think he's poured so much of himself into it. I think that's really fucking important. And that's why it's our number five. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, the album that's probably had the biggest impact and played the most important role uh, in as a piece of art um, in our list is at number five. And <laughs> at number four, what do we reckon? It's push, I, isn't I it? I think it probably should be push. Yeah. Just because, again... It's flaws. an album two halves, yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. like that first that first half of the album is electric and it's brilliant. Yeah, and I think it is a great album. I, I know you gave it nine out of ten back in the day. Again, to get back into the ratings thing, but like, 
it's more of an eight for me, and a lot of that is how much I love him. Yeah, but like it's not, and again, and like it's not that like oh the second half of this album is is terrible. It's not at all. I just think that it it goes to such a peak. Yeah, and then it comes down a little bit, and even that little come down is just. It's too much of a come down in the context of this record. The album ends fucking incredibly. Yeah. Uh, and he is on top of his game for at least six songs in a row in a way that he was on Daytona. If this was six songs, seven songs, if he was doing another Daytona and he another picked, classic. The, picked the first six and the last song, you're probably looking at another four and a half, five star record. Yeah. It's great. I just wish it didn't have those slight stumbles. I agree. Okay, so that's our number four. So now... Number two and three, which order is Big Thief and Arctic Monkeys? <laughs> I think it's B- Big Thief next, right? Because you're not jiving with that quite as much as... Um, yeah, and, and it's not like, to be fair, and again, like, you know, annoyed. My album it. of the year, by the way, I'll just put it out there, but yes. Is it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay. Um, but I do, I do totally get how it could be a slog for some people. Well, no, if it's your album of the year, I think it probably should be number two on this list then, because you love the Arctic Monkeys album more than I do. And it's not that I don't love it. I'm having a similar... I have a similar relationship that I have with the Big Thief one because, like, I recognize that they're both extremely accomplished works. Mm. I just can't quite get to the emotion of them. Yeah, Whereas, and again, I figured coming in, it could very well, they could well do the double, and I think they have. So if Let's Eat Grandma is our number one. It is. It's, it's clearly well, our number one. Well, what I will say is that, like, that is us united. Yeah. And that, 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 that is us united in a way that we wear it back in April, was it? Yeah. I think March, it was April. April, yeah. And, like... For us and for the show, we're both united in that album completely emotionally and much like they are, you know, it's about it's about friendship, it's about connection. And as much as I'm, I feel like I'm kind of on the outside looking in a little bit on Big Thief and Arctic Monkeys. They're clearly great albums. Yeah. I've just yet, they've yet to kind of, you know, personally kind of resonate with me. And again, in the way that the Gang Utes one did for me and not for you, you know, obvious reasons aside... You know, I know that you like that album, yeah. but it probably didn't like wrap you up in a fucking hug. Whereas, no, I just think it's a very strong rock record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which again, uh, you know, I'll, it's I'll, an, it's a, it'd be an eight out of ten for me. Yeah, yeah, I'll take a very strong rock rock, rock record every day of the week, every day of the week. <laughs> on Radio X. But like, <laughs> so yeah, and I think you know, I, I think the You're shakedown going for a show on Radio X. Yeah, why not? That's my quite that, the sizzle reel. Well, I quit my fucking job. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert for anyone who cares about that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, so you know, so Radiac, sign them up. Why not? And I'd listen. I guess if I have this correct, then yes. as we come to Let's the end, do it. the No Encore top ten. What's the damage? <laughs> well, <laughs> the No Encore top ten uh, best albums no twenty twenty two. Number ten is Wise Blood and In the Darkness, Hearts Aglow. Number nine, Nilla for Yanya and Painless. Number eight, Kendrick Lamar, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Feels like two days ago that we talked about that. Number seven, Special Interest, Endure. Number six, Rachika Nair, Heaven Come Crashing. Number five, Gang of Youths, Angel in Real Time. Number four, Pusha T, It's Almost Dry. Craig, did we decide number three? Um, yeah, I think we're going Arctic Monkeys, The Car. Number two, Big Thief, Dragon New Ornament, and I Believe in You. And yeah, finally, oh, number one, yeah. they did the double, Let's Eat Grandma, Two Ribbons. Whew. 
<sighs> I feel spent. Proof you can get somewhere with a terrible, terrible band name. It is a bad um, band name. Yeah, I mean, like they, we can't let them away with it completely. No, we can't. I mean, Arctic, Arctic Monkeys is terrible as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a win for the, as well the scrappy underdog a little bit, which feels very no encore. Sure. Um, not picking them for that reason, but just the way it works out is nice as well. It's a nice little cherry on top. Yeah, and to be fair, it's an album that we championed from the get go. Yeah. And 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 what I will say as well is something I really really like about it is that. I remember on that review coming into it and I, you know, I, I know I, I was knocked out by it and we hadn't really talked about them on no. the show before too often, kind of in passing, maybe a top five pick here or whatever. They got, they got a couple of mentions here and there, I think. Yeah. But nothing too in depth and I didn't, I didn't really know Craig's opinion of them. And so there was every chance that I was like coming into that review being like, well, this is probably the album of the year already and... What if Craig thinks it sucks? And I remember you kind of went I'll first. Change my opinion. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I am I am impressionable that way. Yeah. I'm a coward. I can't. I, I refuse to 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 go along. Anyway, so what happened was I was like, when you started talking about it, and you were kind of like, I think this is brilliant. I, I felt so relieved. Yeah. But I, more than relieved, I, I I felt happy. Yeah. I was like, yes. I was like, he's hearing the same thing as me. And also, yeah, what a fucking album to to champion. Like, I mean, and one that clearly needed it because. Like I say, it just didn't pop up in enough places, which Baffling. I find, yeah, really like, just like, what what happened? So, you know, if you do one thing this Christmas, guys, apart from be nice to each other, listen to Two Ribbons by Let's Eat Grandma. And that is the show. Uh, we're done. And we'll be taking a, a few weeks off now, I believe. Um, we'll be back in mid-January. The usual. As per. As per. And we've got an exciting return on the cards. Shall we say it? Um, no. <laughs> Let's not say it. Yeah, just in case things fall through. But, but hopefully the first episode back will be fun. Don't have an exact date just yet, but I'd say mid-January is the plan, essentially. Yeah. Going to take a couple of weeks, enjoy ourselves. Enjoy yourself as well, and thank you so, so much for listening to the show this year. Patreon.com slash Noancore if you want to help support the show. Please tell a friend to listen to us. I think it's a decent show. I hope it is. Craig Fitzpatrick, I love you. Love you too, man. Happy Christmas. Happy and Christmas. It's been a great year with yes. the two of you boys. Seriously, it's um, it's always the highlight of my week coming in here. It's uh, it's great. I also love Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan. Love you too, man. Great guy. Love you guys. Love you. We are very, very lucky to work with you and to be sitting here in your company today and for you to make the show sound as good as it does. So thank you so much. And as you also thanked people on the episode, thank you to everyone who guested on the show this year. Yeah. Everyone who listens to the show. Everyone who likes just a show. You know, going to a show... Broadway, yeah, whatever yeah, it is, any Don't kind know. of show, yeah. Uh, former WWE wrestler, the big show, you know, like you know, it's all good. Yeah. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year! We couldn't think of any more shows. <laughs> <laughs>